Join with me in Nehemiah chapter 6 tonight. I thank the Lord for uh, Brother Dennis reading that letter from uh, Brother Lingo. I had read that this week, and it's a sad letter. Uh, you know, and, and as we read about uh, Pepe, and we heard about um, all that, that he went through emotionally at the loss of a friend who had never accepted Jesus, even after nearly 50 years of ministering, sometimes we look and we think, Everything on the mission field is perfect and it's rosy. And I told Sister Jennifer, I said, I think this is the one for Sunday. I said, it's not a happy, you know, we saw 6,000 people saved, but it is something that reminds us that our missionaries need prayer. And he's going through some great trials uh, as, a, as a missionary. And, and I just want to encourage you to, uh, if you're friends with him on Facebook or if you uh, want to write to him, uh, that you can send your uh, letter or note of encouragement right to the missions office and they'll make sure they get it. But our missionaries need to hear from us, and they, they need to be reminded, hey, God is faithful. Even through all of this, the love of the Lord endures. Amen? And as we think about that, I just want to ask you to join me in Nehemiah chapter 6. Because that kind of ties in directly with uh, Nehemiah 6. As Nehemiah is experiencing here the end of the road, if you will, he's come to the very final stages of building the wall. But there's still resistance. There's still uh, these things that he must face. Over the last 20 years in America, uh, since September 11, Americans have had to live under a threat of all kinds of terrorism, uh, attacks, threats on a, on a, a small as well as global uh, scene. We've, in the last year, faced a global plague. Listen, these threats have changed the way we live. The way we walked in the building today and we stuck our hands in our pockets and we nodded at one another. Right. You know, a year ago we'd have hugged each other and said, man, it's great to see you, just shaking a hand. Or if you got on an airplane tonight, it would, have, it would be different uh, to go through the security check lines than it was 21 years ago before September 11. Uh, now you, they just about have you uh, go through all kinds of security checks to make sure that you're safe and, the, and everything is kosher on those planes. You know, honestly, it's, it's been difficult the last 20 years to see uh, our government try to fight terrorism or try to fight this plague or whatever because sometimes the enemy is not always visible. And, you know, uh, in the old times, I think about uh, World War II and uh, soldiers would dig a trench on one side and the soldiers would dig a trench on the other side and they'd shoot at each other and it was easily distinguishable who the enemy was. But it's not always the case anymore, is it? And I think about just Nehemiah and the things that he's facing here. And it's not always easy to identify who the, the enemy and where the attacks are coming from. But I remind you that the Apostle Paul warned against this centuries ago in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 11. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that's what we endeavor to do tonight is that uh, no matter what the enemy may bring against us, that we might be able to stand. And so it's important that we are able to be able to resist Satan's schemes and his methods of attack in our life. Because knowing our enemy, uh, we are able to see that God can get the victory in and through our life. Our enemies use deception, he's used trickery, and other schemes to try to neutralize God's people and what he's called us to do. And so if we want to finish our course, if we want to continue to go forward and accomplish the purpose that God has for us, we must learn how to resist Satan's schemes. And so let us uh, join together in Nehemiah chapter number 6, and let's read together this chapter. It says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem... 
the Arabian and the rest of the armies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, that they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then Sanballat, his servant, uh, sent to, excuse me. Then sent Sanballat, his servant, unto me in like manner with the fifth in the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, "It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words." And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward, I came to the house of Shimeiah, the son of Delaiah, the son of Mahatbeel, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? Who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalite had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so, and sin that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think upon Tobiah and Sambalite accordingly, according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear." And I love this anticlimactic moment here in verse 15. So the wall was finished. <laughs> That's it. After all these times and all, all that we've read, he finally comes to the point and he says, So the wall was finished. In the 20 and 5th day of the month Elu, in the 50 and, two, in 50 and 2 days. And it came to pass that when all, all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, And his son, Johanna, had taken the daughter of Mishalem, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me. And uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this chapter. God, I'm reminded that any time we try to do a work for you, that Satan desires to come along and to try to discourage, destroy, to cast doubt, and to run the plans aground. But I thank you, God, that you are God. You're the one that leads in our life, and you're the one that directs. Uh, and we just pray, Father, that tonight as we gather together as a church family, 
And Lord, we hunger, Lord, for you to do a miraculous and wonderful work in our, in our midst. That as we look at the uh, truth of Nehemiah 6 tonight, that God, we would be encouraged to, to continue faithfully. Lord, and we would learn the principles that Nehemiah has put forth here. And that God, we would be able to just follow you faithfully all of our days. We praise you and thank you and pray that you would rebuke Satan. And Lord, to keep him from uh, this place and what we want to do for you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In his goal of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, Nehemiah had to stand up against violent threats of the enemy. And we saw this in Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, there were violent threats against him. And then he had to deal with internal conflicts between wealthy and poor Jews in Nehemiah chapter 5. And now as we enter into Nehemiah 6, we find that the wall is nearly completed. As a matter of fact, it is completed by verse 15. And all that remains are the gates and the doors to be put on the walls. But the enemy hasn't given up. They're close, but they say, listen, we still have a, have a chance. And in, in chapter 6, he hits again with four schemes here. And these four schemes are really uh, what's, uh, what Satan is using to try to discourage even Christians today. And so in the first three, in three schemes, we see Satan move first, and then Nehemiah had to respond. But in the last situation, we see that Nehemiah won the, the victory, and was able to complete the wall, but, Nehemiah, but Satan didn't quit still, and he still responded. And, and we see, still saw him infiltrate the work of God. And so we learned that to complete the work God has given us to do, we must discern and we must resist Satan's attacks and all of his schemes that he's got going. So how do we do that? Okay, that's, that's what this is about, and we look here in these four different situations. We're going to take these four situations and break them down for you this evening. And, and just look at these. And the first one is found in the first four verses. And we see that Nehemiah resolved to stand firm in his purpose. He said, listen, it doesn't matter what you say, I'm going to remain faithful. If you were to take a, a news headline, don't you, don't you love the news? They always spin it to reflect their personality. If you're a Newsmax fan, if you're a Fox News fan, if you're a CNN fan, I don't care who it is, who you watch, who you listen to. There, we always come at it with our own perspective. And we're going to tell you the news from our own our own understanding, but it would probably say something like this. If it, just, just a fictitious news line here. It says, Nehemiah says no to oh no. Samaritan officials have disclosed that Nehemiah, governor of Judah, has again turned down the offer of Governor Sanballat of Samaria to meet at one of the villages in Ono on the Judah-Samaria border. The proposed conference would include the big four of the area, Geshem, the leader of the Arabs, Tobiah, leader of the Ammonites, Sanballat, and Nehemiah. Sanballat issued a statement today in which he sharply criticized Nehemiah for his repeated refusals to cooperate. He, re he reports that the purpose of such a meeting would be uh, to work on a formula for lasting peace in the region. The Samaritan leader said with evident frustration, This is the fourth time Nehemiah has turned down my invitation to meet and discuss our mutual concerns. These repeated refusals mean that the responsibility for increasing intentions and any violence that may result, results solely upon Jerusalem. Doesn't that sound like something the news would spin? You know, you just take the truth and they contort it and they twist it. You know, that's, Satan's pretty good at that. But I want you to see, first off, as we look at this, just Satan's intrigue here. As he just jumps in, uh, you know, and he begins to, to really to twist the scheme and, the, and to scheme against Nehemiah and the, the children of Jerusalem, it's no doubt that we can look at it and, and maybe we would look at it from our eyes and say, well, I don't understand exactly what's going on. 
I mean, because obviously Sambalad and Geshem said, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And this is the truth, but they thought to do me mischief. Maybe you've seen this uh, at some point. It says in the bottom, it says, Bummer of a birthmark, birthmark how? And it's a deer with a, a bullseye right on his chest. Maybe you've seen that. Every Christian leader, every Christian has a target on his chest, and Satan desires to bring them down. He'll cause extensive damage to the flock if he can cause one person to leave, if he can cause one person to stumble, and especially a pastor or deacon or some other leader, Sunday school teacher. And so Satan uses deception and, and even sometimes even plausible sounding appeals, but his intent is always to destroy us. And in Nehemiah 2, their appeals sounded good. Hey, let's, let's meet and work this out. Let's, let's have a peace treaty here. Can't we all just get along? Uh, or uh, the, the bumper sticker that really irritates me is coexist. But Nehemiah rightly perceived that their intent was to ambush him if he went. Satan still uses all of these innocent-sounding appeals to lure believers into a trap. But listen, he's not playing games. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 reminds us he desires, desires to devour. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's his intent with your life. He's not fooling around or playing games. You may, we may think we're playing with him, but he's not. I've seen repeatedly... Uh, Satan used the trap or similar traps of luring a, a young Christian person and usually typically a young lady into the marriage with an unbeliever. Of course, the unbeliever is a nice guy and he promises to go to church with her and because it would, for a Christian young lady, a drunken, abusive, good uh, man is not someone they're going to be lured into a trap. But a nice, good-looking, successful unbeliever who promises to go to church will do just the trick. And she will disobey the Lord and she'll be lured in that trap. Listen, pastors, Christian leaders get lured into Satan's trap of compromising sound doctrine uh, for the cause of unity. Some have stated... And let, me, let me just say, some, some people have stated, the Bible does not say that the world will know us for our correct doctrine, but for our love. So we just need to set aside the matters that divide us and come together on the matters we can agree on. You've heard things like that. And that's a dangerous place to be because then all of a sudden it no longer matters what the Bible says. All that matters is love, peace, and chicken grease. Emphasis on the last one. And so pastors, they, they get... Set aside, they, they set aside the essentials of the gospel. They set aside the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, and they, they say, well, let's join hands with the Roman Catholics who preach a gospel of works. And they sign unity documents and attend unity services. But listen, Paul opposes strongly this type of behavior. He opposed the Judaizers. These men claim to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they believe that He is the Jewish Messiah. But, but, but then, so why would Paul oppose them? Because they said that in addition, in addition to believing in Jesus, you had to be circumcised. You see, a little bit of compromise, and we can all just get along. Listen, if it's not in the book, I don't want it. As a church, we've got to have that mentality. Listen, it's got to be by the book. It's not by love, love, peace, and chicken grease, but it's got to be by God's word and his alone. They added one 
biblical work to faith. That's it. Paul, Paul said, listen, you've added one, one work, one thing to faith, and it's, it's uh, caused you to be accursed. In Galatians 1, 8 and 9, he says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Listen, we don't want to add anything to the gospel. The Bible says in Revelation 22 that we are cursed if we add anything to the gospel, if we add anything to the, to the Bible. If we add human work in order to be justified, you're severed from Christ. Galatians 5, 4 says it very, very plainly. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Let us never be willing to compromise let us be willing to say, God, we want to stand upon your word. We don't want to listen to uh, false teachers with that, that cause our ears to itch, if you will, that cause us to be able to say, listen, that sounds good. It sounds appealing. And there's a lot of big names in Christianity today, but they're not names that I want to listen to because their message is not exclusively the Bible. It's all kinds of Eastern mysticism and all kinds of things that they have mixed in with the message of the Bible to make it sound Christian, but in reality, it's very deceptive. You see, Satan is relentlessly, relentlessly persistent in his schemes. He's not going to quit. He's not going to give up. Matter of fact, if you look in verse number 3, it says, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work. He says, My purpose, the reason that I'm building this wall is greater than meeting with you, and so get out of my way and leave me alone. But he didn't just send this once. He sent it four times according to verse 4. Just because you resist the devil once, don't think he's going to give up and leave you alone. Some of you have made some, some goals for this year. Lord, you know, you've, you talked to the Lord this week and you say, God, I really want to serve you greater this year than it ever, ever before in my life. God, I want to walk with you more fervently than ever before in my life. And listen, the devil's going to make you do everything he can to make you uh, not hit that goal. He'll hit you again and again. With the same temptation, he will wear you down. Look at how Delilah wore Samson out with the same request. Where, why don't you tell us? You say that you love me, so tell me where your great strength lies. Finally, he yielded and the enemy triumphed. His life was a disgrace. So what did Nehemiah do? How did Nehemiah resist? And first off, and let me just say that he just simply stood firm on the purpose he said, listen, I'm not being arrogant here. I just have a reason. My purpose is in verse number three. He says, I've got to build a wall. I'm singly focused like a gazelle intensity, man. I'm just super focused here. He knew that God had given, what God had given him to do was, just as, was more important than anything else. And so he just focused on this and he wasn't finished yet. Because he knew that walls without gates were just as, effect, just as effective as, walls, as no walls at all. So he said, listen, my priority is to finish the wall. So don't distract me. Listen, we've got to have that same kind of intensity at, at times. We've got to say, Lord, our goal as a church, my goal is, Lord, is to lift up Jesus Christ. And there's going to be times where it gets very difficult to stand firm in our purpose. And there's going to be some things that sound good and appealing. But we've got to be willing to say, God, I just want to follow you and your purpose for my life. We just got to stay consistent in following the purpose that God's left for us as a church. As believers, our chief 
priority in life is to glorify God. That's why we're here. My, my life, I, I've written out a personal purpose statement, and it is to glorify God in my, in my life. That's part of my personal purpose statement. And in that also is to make sure that others know so that they're not left behind. And so God reminds us that our purpose is to glorify Him by sharing Jesus with others and, and just continuing at that level of being able to say, this is my purpose, this is my reason. Friday, I shared with prayer, on, uh, prayer with Pastor the importance of choosing the great things over the good things. There's going to be a lot of good things that life hits you with, amen? I think about sports. We love sports oftentimes. We, our kids go to sports and we say, man, sports teach us all kinds of good character building things, right? How to work as a team. They teach us how to, how to do good things, how to, how to work together, all, all kinds of good stuff. Working hard and you get, you know, we, we, the list goes on and off, on. And there's nothing wrong with sports, but if the good gets in the way of the greats, if the good gets in the way of your ability to serve the Lord and fulfill His purpose, then you've given up the good, or the great, for the sake of the good. Let's look at the next instance here in verse 5. Verses 5 through 9, as we look here, we see that Nehemiah didn't just stand firm in his purpose, but he stood firm in prayer. And we've seen that throughout the scriptures here as we've looked at the book of Nehemiah. He has been consistently a man of prayer. And remember, he's not a priest. He's just a man that says, listen, I love God. That means you, me, all of us together, we can have that same desire. Verse 5 says, Then sent Sambalat, his servant, unto me in, the, in like manner with the, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Geshu, Geshmu, excuse me, saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. He, he said, listen, let me just, he said, he was uh, causing a threat at this moment. Four frustrated attempts to lure Nehemiah into a, tra a trap, and the, and the enemy was empty-handed. And so he sent an open letter to Nehemiah and said, listen, anybody can read this. It wasn't sealed. It was an open letter for anyone and everyone. Listen, Satan sent an innuendo here. Listen, Satan will spread slanderous and false rumors against godly leaders. Normally, letters between officials during this time would have been sealed. They would have been private. Sambalat knew that the servant who delivered this letter would read it, and so would countless other people along the way. You know, the, the one thing, a good thing about a rumor, you only have to launch it with a little bit of gossip, and it takes off like a wildfire. You ever notice that? It will spread like a virus from one person to another person, growing more malicious as it travels. And invariably, uh, some, uh, some rumors attack the character and the motives of a godly leader. Did you know what Nehemiah was planning? No, but I wondered why he was working so hard on this wall. What's he have in it? And it goes on and on and on. So what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. Look at, look at his response in verse number 8. Then I sent it to him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. He says, Listen, I'm going to tell the truth. And in verse number 9, I love the end of verse 9. He says, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Because the reality is, is that when, when slander is brought against us, it, it, it's very difficult to bear. 
When slander is brought, it, it, it makes it heavy for a, a person to carry. You've been probably the center of a rumor. You've been the center of some slander. And, and you know personally how hard and, and difficult it is to carry. And I just, just as, as Nehemiah confesses here, Lord, strengthen me in this time. Help me to remain faithful. No matter what people may say, Lord, just help me, God, through this time. He responds with prayer. How vital it is. In the next response, we see at the end of that in verse number 14, he again, he says, My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat. Again, he was a man of prayer. He knew the power of prayer. In his lectures to my students, uh, Spurgeon had a chapter that was entitled The Blind Eye and the Deaf Ear. And he said this, Falsehoods usually carry their own refutation somewhere about them and sting themselves to death. Some lies especially have a peculiar smell which betrays their rottenness to every honest nose. Your blameless life will be your best defense. And those who have seen it will not allow you to be condemned so readily as your slanderers expect. Later he goes on to say, Yet there are some exceptions to this general rule. When distinct, definite public charges are made against a man, he is bound to answer them, and answer them in the clearest and most open manner, to decline all, decline all investigation, as such a case practically to plead guilty. And the general public ordinarily regard a refusal to reply as a proof of guilt. Nehemiah knew it was important for him to reply, and so he responded with prayer to the Lord, trusting God completely and with truth. He didn't remain silent. Instead, he fired off a message and said, listen, you know that this is all fictitious. You know you've made this up, you, you big liar. And he said, Lord, just strengthen me. Help me to be faithful. The third instance we see in verses 10 through 14, 14 Satan begins to try to intimidate, begins to try to, to manipulate Nehemiah here. And he says, and afterward I came into the house of Shimeiah. And this is probably the one, the one test that Nehemiah faced that would have been so easy to capitulate to. Because as we see here, Shimeiah was a religious person. And not only that, he was a prophet. And so when, when Shimeiah was, was there, Nehemiah came to his home and it says, uh, Here, I was shut up and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple. For they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. He was saying, listen, you need to come to the temple. It's safe for you there. He pretended to care, but really he was tempting him to sin. You said, because evidently what Nehemiah later found out and what he discerned was that he had been hired by Sambalat and Tobiah, the enemies of, of God in Jerusalem. And, and so Shemaiah said, listen, Nehemiah, come on in and we'll, we'll go to, and meet at the temple and you can hide out there. But here's the problem. Numbers chapter 18 and verse number 17, 7 reminds us that not being a priest, Nehemiah would have disobeyed God's law by going into the temple. Look at here. Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil and ye shall serve. I have given you your priest's office unto you as serve of a gift and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. You see, he knew if Nehemiah entered into the temple, it would have been grounds for his death. Non-priests were not allowed into that sacred holy of holies. They weren't allowed in that place. Now, we've seen through the scriptures where non-priests could flee to protection for the horns on the altar, but that was in the temple courtyard. 
Shimei was saying, listen, come into the holy, uh, the holy place. Come into the place where the, the, the priests are allowed enter, to enter. But Nehemiah said, there is no way I'm going to listen to you. So what, what happened? How did he know what was, what was going to happen? Because evidently, there's going to be times where the enemy is trying to scare us, scare us into a sinful behavior and ruin our testimony. Nehemiah simply remained steadfast in obedience. He said, God, I'm just going to obey you. I know your word says I'm not allowed in there, so I know that this man is a liar. And so, oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to obey you. And verse 11 says, and I, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. You know, Nehemiah didn't even perceive until this point that God had not sent Shimei. But he knew as soon as he told him to disobey God's word that he was a false prophet and he was given a false word. It is so imperative today that we know the Word of God. It's so imperative as believers that we get in the Word of God, that we choose to learn and obey the Word of God so that we can grow and be prepared for the moment when, we're, we're, uh, when Satan desires to deceive us. Remember John 8, 44, Jesus Christ nailed it when he said, uh, he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he said, you are of your father the devil, and he was a liar from the beginning. Remember, Satan is a liar and desires your destruction. It's always right to obey God's word, no matter what the threatened consequences may be. Listen, our brothers and sisters on the east and west coast and in, in certain states are going through a great time of trial. Churches who have been forbidden to meet find daily uh, thousands of dollars each time they meet. And let me just say, I, we ought to obey God rather than man. There's a biblical precept, a biblical commandment as a church to gather, and it's important that we do so in, in every opportunity that we can. Not doing less as the day approaches, but as Hebrews 10.25 says, doing more so as we see the day approach. Listen, it's always right to obey God's word, no matter the consequences. It's always wrong to disobey God's word. Even if your disobedience looks like it's, it will gain you something good. So let me just say, that's what Nehemiah did. He refused Shimei's counsel. He then reverted uh, to his common practice of lifting up his situation to God in prayer and said, God, listen to what he said. Think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalad. He says, listen, they're trying to make me fear. They're trying to make me be afraid. But God, I'm just going to trust in you. This is their, your problem. This, these, these people are your people. And I'm just going to continue doing what I know your, your word says is right. You see, the result of Nehemiah staying on course is almost, uh, it comes to verse number 15, it seems anticlimactic. Because he just stayed on course, he stayed with his purpose, he stayed in prayer, he stayed right here in this, in this moment. He just said, listen, God, I'm just going to stay faithfully in obedience to you. And, it, and so we come to verse 15 and it seems like, man, we're building up, building up, building up. And then it says, so the wall was completed. <laughs> but really, obey, obedience to God doesn't always have a great big fanfare. 
When I'm just simply willing to say, God, I'm going to obey you. On this earth, no one may, no one may notice. No one may come along beside you and celebrate with you and say, Quinn, you're awesome for being faithful in church. Sorry, I just saw you sitting there. Makes him embarrassed. You know, no one's necessarily going to be able to, to come along and recognize the victories in your life. But God's not forgotten. God's not forgotten. God's not let go of the fact that they finished what he laid upon Nehemiah's heart. And Nehemiah saw this project to completion. And the wall was finished. Amen. Hallelujah. They were set out to rebuild and it was done. And so obviously this was a moment where the chapter ended. The book is over and it is, it is done. All the problems are over with. And there's no reason to read the rest of the book. Isn't that right? That's not what it says at all, is it? <laughs> Matter of fact, Satan wasn't finished. So there's one last lesson here, and that's to stand firm in persistence. You see, because it was persistence on Nehemiah's part that brought victory, but it was persistence on Nehemiah's part that will allow him to continue forward. Because the, when the enemies, uh, if you look in verse number 16, it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. But that didn't mean that they were done. That didn't mean that they were finished trying to deceive and destroy and to, and to corrupt what was, what was going on. But instead, they just doubled down their efforts. And we see that in, in verses number 17 through 19. Because Nehemiah's victory... Uh, was, uh, was a great victory, but it wasn't the end of the story. All of the enemies that Sanballat had drawn into uh, his plots against the Jews only widened the circle of God's glory when the wall was finished. Even though Nehemiah and the workers had worked together on the wall and had, had worked hard, not even the enemies that had, had worked against them could, could uh, to destroy the work that was happening. Let me just say, this is a great model. We should work just as hard as if success depended all upon us, but at the same time, we rely totally upon the Lord. Remember, remember a couple of scriptures, that unless God builds the house, unless He guards the city, we labor in vain. Psalms 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Because when we recognize that it's God that builds the house, it takes off a lot of that expectation. I'm going to remind you that God wants even our enemies to glorify Him. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, listen, they may not know God, but when they see our good works, they see our faithfulness, they see our, our, our praise to Him, listen, they're going to be able to say, listen, that is the God that, that I need to serve. When the wall was completed, the enemy did not give up, but instead we saw Satan try to infiltrate. Satan lost the battle, but he didn't quit. He didn't, he, instead, he just changed tactics here. In verse 17, we see uh, how he changed tactics. Tobiah, who was the governor of the Ammonites, was probably a half a Jew of, of some sort. His name is Jewish, which means uh, Yahweh is good. 
but he was related by marriage to at least two influential Jews as well. They were called nobles in verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters into Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. And so we see that he had also business contracts with them. They were bound by an oath and with these men. And so they were not only in frequent contact by mail, but they would often uh, tell, uh, told about uh, all that Nehemiah was doing to Tobiah. And they reported uh, also to Nehemiah all the good things about Tobiah. They, they were, uh, Nehemiah had to deal with these people living among him. Satan often uses espionage if I could use that word. He infiltrates the ranks of the church with people who profess to be believers but are really just deceivers. Jesus Christ describes it like this in Matthew seven fifteen that they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Their hearts are in the world and they oppose godly men like Nehemiah who expose their spiritual indifference and sin. So what do we learn from this? Let me just share three practical lessons. And one, as we look at Nehemiah's life and we see uh, as he built the wall and he completed it here, it's important that we can expect God to accomplish great advances for his kingdoms through our labors, just as Nehemiah did. If we're faithful in the Lord, God's going to be faithful as well. If we just walk by faith, God's going to bless that faith. We're never going to read, and they live happily ever after. That's not found in the Bible anywhere. Don't you wish that that fairy tale ending was there? And John got saved, and he lived happily ever after. Instead, what it says, Yea, and all that will live godly shall what? Suffer persecution. You know, if we're going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be ready and prepared because Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Because even after this wall was built, the enemy infiltrated the ranks and desired to stir up more trouble. We'll never see a perfect church in this fallen world. We'll never see this church be perfect. As soon as we think we get a problem fixed, there's going to be another problem spring up. But we can trust God. We can continue forward and we can continue to try to advance his cause. But let's be careful not to fall into the trap that we have arrived. But we also see that we must never put our confidence in our work, but only in the God who enables us to work. You see, it was God that enabled Nehemiah. It was God that gave him discernment. It was God that uh, gave them the strength. He, he, he cried out to God over and over and over again. As he prayed, he said, Lord, help me. Strengthen my hands. Lord, help the work that's going forward. We need God here. We, we can do a shadow, we can do some sort of a puppet ministry here, but we cannot have a real, genuine, God-spirit-led ministry without Him. We need Him today. When God's people compromise with the world, it hinders God's work. Tobiah and his son had intermarried with some of the Jewish nobles. He convinced them that he was a good guy even though really he was opposed to everything good. Later, during Nehemiah's absence, Tobiah managed to get personal quarters even in the temple. But I love Nehemiah. I, I don't know, he's such a, such a unique character. Uh, not a perfect man, but definitely a unique guy. And when we saw Nehemiah come back and he saw what Tobiah had done, he took personal responsibility. He took all of that rat's belongings, and he threw him out of the temple and kicked him. I almost just see him with a big old size 13 foot kicking him outside of the temple. His foot was probably about a size 7, but that's another story. 
Let me just remind you what 1 John 2.15 says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let's heed this warning together. There was a lady who never spoke ill of anyone. And a friend told her, I believe that you, would, uh, you could say something good even of the devil if you tried. She said, she thought for a second, she said, well, you certainly have to admire his persistence. The Satan is persistent, isn't he? He's not going to give up. He's not going to quit until he's cast eternally into the lake of fire. And I just want to encourage you to let us finish our course Let us be willing to say, God, we want to be faithful. We want to just continue and persevere in this moment, in this hour, in this year, in this day. Because when the Lord returns, I want Him to find me faithful. That's my prayer. God, let me be faithful. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this. When our Lord returns, He will ultimately triumph over all evil. Amen? This year, may we as a church choose like Nehemiah. And say, God, our vision, our desire, our hope, our burden is to rebuild. Not just to rebuild a little bit, not just to to come back a little bit, but God, that you would uh, do a great work. And we want to work as if everything depends on us. But Lord, we're trusting you because this work is your work. And so may God use each of us, our lives, to bring him glory. To God be the glory, great things He has done.